This is the Radio Bible Class, and I'm your host, Tim Carter. We welcome you to our Bible study as the Radio Bible Class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to you a message how Christ ministers to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with a message that Jesus is alive today. Now, today's lesson is titled, A Great Servant, and it comes from 1 Samuel 12, 1 through 25. But before we start our lesson today, Word Talk Inc. could use your support. Now, playing music on the radio may sound simple, but actually it's quite costly due to publishing rights and royalties. And before that first song is ever played, there's utility bills and tower rental fees and maintenance and so forth. We need people just like you to help with a tax-deductible gift. So won't you do that today? You can do that by calling us at 601-483-8648. And there they can take your information safely and securely over the phone. Or mail us your gift, Word Talk, Inc., P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi, 39304. Now, your gift, Word Talk, Inc., is IRS-approved as a 501c3 tax-exempt ministry. Now, your contribution is never used for salaries or managerial purposes, but 100% of it goes to the expense providing the good news of Jesus Christ to our listening area. Now, Hebrews 13, 16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Now, if you'd like to go back and listen to a previous lesson, you can do that by going to our podcast website. That's radiobibleclass.podbean.com. Also, you can go catch us on the Apple Podcast section by searching for WMER Radio Bible Class with no spaces between Radio Bible Class. We're also on Google Podcasts now. We're on Spotify. We're on Amazon. We're on Pandora. And if there is a system to listen to podcasts, like going to iHeartRadio or whatever, you can find us there. Search for WMER space Radio Bible Class with no spaces between Radio Bible Class. If you've been listening to the Radio Bible Class, you know that we've been going through the whole book of 1 Samuel. But in the last several weeks, we've been going through a mini-series, really the rise and fall of King Saul. And we saw last week the making of a king. We saw how Nahash, he was wanting that revenge for those that got away, the 7,000 men that got away that didn't get their eye poked out, how he came after them. And, and once he finds them, he says, I'm going to poke your eyes out. And so the word gets back to Saul and all the people in Saul's town. And Saul hears and learns of the dilemma. And what does he do? He becomes a king. He steps up and he immediately takes action. He raises an army of 330,000 men. And they go out, divide into three different groups, and they defeat Nahash. And because of that, Saul establishes himself as king. And God allows him, with his timing, to become the king and be the king in the eyes of the nation of Israel. And then we finished up with Samuel telling the people, let's go to Gilgal and we will renew the kingdom. And all the people did what? They went down to Gilgal and there they made Saul king before the Lord and they sacrificed a peace offering. And so that's where we finished, that Saul had become king and he become king in the eyes of the people. And God had allowed them to have what they requested, whether it was good or bad. And now today we're going to see that Samuel kind of resigns as the role that he's in. And a matter of fact, chapter 12 is all about his farewell speech is what you could say. When I think about that, I think about farewell speeches. 
You know, think about one of the most famous farewell speech may have been Martin Luther King when he stood in Memphis and told about his dream that he had. Everyone would have to agree probably that Reverend King and his speech that he gave still rings out today. It still has a strike of the heart that hits today. If you're a sports fan, you probably have heard the name of Lou Gehrig. He was one of the people that played with Babe Ruth and he was one of Babe Ruth's favorite friends. Lou Gehrig held the record for consecutive games for playing with the New York Yankees until just probably the last decade that it got broke. And he probably would have had even a longer decade if it hadn't been for ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease. It was named after him. We may not remember exactly what Lou Gehrig said as he stood behind home plate. And you know what else? The Pack Stadium that day gave him a two-minute standing ovation. And then Babe Ruth went up to him and gave him one of his biggest bear hugs that he loved to do. He just died two years later after giving that speech. Some call his speech the Gettysburg Address of baseball. But if you're a study of the Bible, you know that the Last Supper, following it, Jesus gave his farewell address. He describes in the book of John in chapter 14 through 17, how that he is going to leave, but the Holy Spirit's going to come and it's going to guide his disciples. Right there, he commands them that they love one another. He also describes himself as divine in this same section and that how all life stems from this vine. And the apostles were the branches of that vine. Well, today we're going to look at the farewell speech that Samuel gives. Now, it's not as great as what Jesus gave, but it is a farewell speech that he gives to the nation of Israel as he resigns from the judge position and he turns the attention and transition over to King Saul and the kingship. I have a lot to cover, so let's just jump right in. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 12. We'll start reading the first three verses, and I'll be reading out of the ESV. And Samuel said to all of Israel, Behold, I have obeyed your voice and all that you have said to me, and I have made a king over you. And now, behold, the king walks before you, and I am old and gray, and behold, my sons are with you. I have walked before you from my youth until this day. Here I am, testify against me before the Lord and before his anointed Whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? And whom have I defrauded? And whom have I oppressed? And from whose hand have I taken a bribe to the blind my eye with it? Testify against me, and I will restore it to you. So like I said, after the victory of Saul over the Ammonites and Nahash, Samuel knew that the nation would now begin to look at the king as their leader. Here he helped Israel do that. He helped them transition from Samuel's leadership to Saul's leadership. Samuel made this clear when he says, Now here is the king, and I am old and gray-headed. Samuel told Israel that his day was over and Saul's day was beginning now. And as he moves from being the judge and transitioning over to this king, we can learn a lot from him being a great servant. And that's what he talks about. And the first thing he talks about is integrity. So what I want you to understand right here is that we as Christians have to keep a good reputation with God and with the fellow man. And that's what Samuel is saying right here. He has maintained a good reputation with God and with his fellow man. 
Samuel points out to him that he has made himself accountable to the people. He has fulfilled their request for a king. He's completed his role as their leader now that he has given them a king. And now he stood before them and he made himself accountable to them. He says, here I stand. Testify against me. He's saying, we're right here in a courtroom. I have the Lord's anointed right here in front of me. Go ahead and testify against me if there's something that you need to say. In the book of Acts in chapter 20, Paul does something similar. He gives his New Testament farewell speech to the elders at Ephesus. He says, now I know that none of you will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. So Paul tells them that, hey, just like Samuel did, Bring it up, but I can stand here with a clear conscience that I have earned my own keep. I have told you the gospel. I have been accountable to everyone, and I've even taken care of those that I've brought in. So let me ask you a question. Are you accountable to the people in your life? Are you willing to let them speak into your life and correct you when necessary? Are you willing to put yourself on trial? The problem we get into is sometimes we want to be a lone wolf. We want to be immune from the criticism and the critique. We love the praise, but we don't want the criticism and the critique. But we have to open ourselves up for correction. We need to welcome it. We need to invite it in. As a matter of fact, Proverbs 15.32 says, He who ignores discipline despises himself, but whoever heeds correction gains understanding. So the first step to maintaining a good reputation before God and man is to make yourself accountable to the people in your life. And then the second thing to make yourself accountable is to wrong any right. Look at verse 3 with me. What does he say? Whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? Whom have I cheated? Whom have I oppressed? For whose hand have I accepted a bribe? If I've done any of these, I will make it right. But look how they respond. Read verse 4 with me. They say, You have not defrauded us or oppressed us or taken anything from any man's hand. I like what Samuel does right here. Samuel not only makes himself accountable to the people, but he also turns it up a notch. He starts naming things that other people are probably doing in the nation Israel, and he says, Am I guilty of any of this? Now, none of us are perfect, and I don't want to put him on a pedestal because he had his problems as well. But he had lived a righteous life before the people of the nation of Israel. Again, he wasn't perfect, but he maintained a good reputation. And we need to learn from that. We can be willing to do things that are right, and occasionally we're going to mess up. And when we do, Jesus will forgive us of that. And we can go ask that person for forgiveness. But we need to strive to keep a good reputation. Jesus gave us the following instruction on the Sermon on the Mount. He said in Matthew 5, 23 and 24, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave the gift in front of the altar. First go and reconcile with your brother, then come back and offer your gift. And that's really what Samuel does. He lives this out right in front of him. He says, hey, have I wronged any of you? Can you go to your circle and say, hey, have I wronged any of you? Go do that. And if they say yes, make it right, because that's what he said. I will do. I will make it right. Go and apologize. Go ask for forgiveness. Go to them and reconcile with them. 
And if you've taken something that's not yours, then you need to give it back and then some. You know, that's what Zacchaeus did. When we turn to the book of Luke, Zacchaeus stood up before the Lord and he said, Look, I've given half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times that amount. And you know what? When you do that, you'll have a clean conscience. Samuel does that. Look at verse 5. And he said to them, The Lord is witness against you, and his anointed is witness this day that you have not found anything in my hand. And that they said, he is witness. Samuel then turns it up another notch. Not only did he call for witnesses against him, but then he said, look, let the Lord be a witness against you if you think I've done something to you. If you stop and think about what Samuel's saying here is that people only see the outside, but God sees your heart. God has seen his heart. And he says, let the Lord be a witness of what I've done. One of the things I tell my employees that work under my leadership is that if you want true character, true character is who you are when no one is watching. So you should have a true character of trying to be righteous, trying to maintain a good reputation before God and man. And what does that entail? That entails that we confess our sins to God daily. We make things right with the people that we've wronged. And then we ask the Holy Spirit to help us walk in his leadership and under his authority, and we die to ourselves. And if you're doing all that, then what does that do? That helps us model the faithfulness after God's faithfulness. And that's what we see next. Look what Samuel does in verse 6 and 7. And Samuel said to the people, The Lord is witness, who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Now therefore stand still that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord that he performed for you and for your fathers. What Samuel does is now he's shown that his faithfulness, now he starts showing the faithfulness of God. And he starts pointing all the faithfulness to God. You know, Samuel was faithful as a judge over Israel, but he's impressed upon them that God has been faithful to his people all along. That even includes their fathers and their forefathers. You know, Psalms 105, 1 and 2 says, Give thanks unto the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of his wonderful acts. You know, has God been good to you? Then talk about it. You have a testimony to share with others. God wants you to share that. You don't always have to be someone that just thumps the Bible over their head. But if you talk about what the good things God has done for you and you remind yourself of that, but you tell others, then you're pointing the glory to God just like Samuel is. Don't keep it to yourself. Tell others of God's goodness to you. And then he goes on to give them a history lesson of all the goodness of God in verses 8 through 11. He kind of gives them a four-point sermon. He talks about the cycle of sin and slavery and repentance and then deliverance. He points out that the people of Israel kept sinning against God, but whenever they would repent and cry out to him, God in his goodness and his faithfulness would deliver them. And as Christians, we should be telling the world the same thing. We should tell about God's goodness and his faithfulness. When we give a testimony that God has always been loving and caring and forgiving, then we do just like Paul did in Romans 15, 4, where he said, For everything that has been written in the past was written to teach us, so that through endurance and through encouragement of the Scripture, we might have hope. When we remember what God's done, it encourages us and it teaches us. 
And we can also use that to teach others. So are you giving a testimony of God's goodness? Are you telling of God's personal goodness to you? And then also, Samuel urged others to follow God. Look at verses 12 through 18. He goes right back to the very incident that they were in. He says in verse 12, And when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Amorites, came against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us, when the Lord your God was your king. And now behold, the king whom you have chosen, for whom you have asked, behold, the Lord has set a king over you. And if you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and if both of you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandments of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. Now, therefore, stand still and see the great thing that this Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest today? I will call upon the Lord and he may send thunder and rain and you shall know that you see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord and asking for yourself a king. So Samuel called upon the Lord and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. Samuel turns his farewell speech to tell them, Hey, when you do what the Lord tells you to do, things are good. He delivers you. But when you go against him, when you go against his commandments, then it's not good. And he reminds them that they were wrong to ask for a king at this time. But you asked for it. And so God gave it to you. And here's the king you asked for. But even though you were wrong to ask for a king, there's still a way to go forward with his blessing. If you will fear the Lord and serve and obey him and not rebel against his command, it will go well for you. Now notice these instructions apply both to the people and what? The king as well. He throws him in there. But if you disobey God and you rebel against his commandments, then God's hand will be against you and against who? The king as well. He reminds them that there is a consequence for disobedience. And also of God's faithfulness when we're obedient to him. We find the same thing in Galatians. In Galatians 6, 7, and it says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to his pleasure, his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. But the one who sows to please the Spirit, for the Spirit will reap eternal life. You know, the Bible tells us in Romans that the wages of sin is death, but the fruit of obedience is God's blessing. I heard a pastor say one time, and it stuck with me. I think it's so true that sin wouldn't be so attractive if we had to pay the wages immediately. You know, a lot of times we're fooled because it doesn't happen right away. We don't have to pay the price right away. We get away with it. But the Bible is crystal clear. God cannot be mocked. You will always reap what you sow. And just like a Sunday morning pastor that's just turning up notch after notch, here we go again. He turns it up one more notch in verse 17 and 18 where he calls out God and says, Hey, if I'm lying, then God will not send thunder. But if I'm telling you the truth, that God will send thunder and rain. Now, this is going on during the wheat harvest, and that happens in May and June, and that was typically the dry season. It rarely rained during those months. But God sent thunder and rain, and it put the fear of the Lord into their stubborn hearts. And let me tell you what, God can send thunder and rain into your life too. He will do it to get your attention. 
He doesn't want to do that, but sometimes that's what it takes to wake us up. I've heard people say, Tim, if God is so loving, why would he allow this to happen to me? We got to look at the choices we make and the consequences of that choice. And the second thing is, if we're not obeying God's word, then sometimes God allows the storm to come into our life to wake us up. And right here, we see a miracle that Samuel calls out. And he uses God to show the people that they need to repent. And he does it through thunder and rain, through a storm. Don't make God send a storm into your life. Repent today. Confess your sins. Start following and walking after him. Jesus said, if you love me, follow my commandments. So we've seen this great servant. We've seen Samuel. We've learned about his integrity, how he was accountable, how he righted any wrong, how he had a clean conscience, and how he modeled the faithfulness after God's faithfulness. And he reminded the people of God's faithfulness and how he delivers us if we'll just repent and ask. But then he also says that he loved each and every one of them. And as a great servant, we have to understand we have to love the people in our circle too. And I think there's three things we can learn right here in these last few verses. One, he never stops praying for them. He reminds them about God's grace. And he's a prayer warrior and a teacher to them. Look at verses 19 through 25 with me real quick. And all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God, that we may not die, for we have added to all our sins this evil, to ask for ourselves a king. And Samuel said to the people, Do not be afraid. You have done all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside from the empty things that cannot profit or deliver, from they are empty. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, and I will instruct you in the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart, for consider what is great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. Right here in this section, it starts off showing the respect they have for Samuel and the fear they have for him because they asked them to pray on their behalf. And Samuel reminds them that it's not just the king that God has chosen, but they've all been chosen by God too. And God will forgive them. He will deal with them graciously if they will ask for forgiveness. You know, I think we can learn that when someone asks you to pray for them, we shouldn't take that lightly. We should never turn it down, but we should take that opportunity to pray for them and earnestly pray for them. You know, Paul wrote in Philippians 1.4 that in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. I've spoken with people before and they've told me that, Tim, I need you to pray for me. I remind them that they can pray as well. I don't mind and I will pray for them. But I first remind them that they can go to the throne of heaven. And the last thing I want you to see is that even though Samuel is no longer the leader of these people, he still had a role to play. Even though he's given this farewell speech, his role is to pray and to teach. We need to be called to be teachers to those that are in our circle. You may not be a Sunday school teacher. You may not be a pastor. You may not be a deacon. But you know what? You are a teacher. If you're a mom, you have the opportunity to pour into your kids every single day. 
If you are a worker, you have the opportunity to pour into those around you every single day. We can be a teacher no matter what role we play, whether we're a layman or whether we are in the ministry. And we see right here that Samuel had a role to play. It was to be prayerful and to be a teacher. You go, Tim, well, I'm not a teacher. Well, first of all, everyone can pray. That's how we accepted Jesus. It's through faith, through prayer, by talking to him. That's how we accepted Jesus. So everyone can pray. And then the second thing is, if you don't think you can be a teacher, maybe you're not in the word enough. Maybe this is a wake-up call that Jesus is knocking on your heart. The Holy Spirit is telling you, I want to hide my word in your heart so that you won't sin against me. So that you can teach others how not to sin against me. And then look how he finishes up. He tells them, only fear the Lord, for consider what great things he has done for you. All of our service, all our obedience, all our love for God should be put into this context that he does right here. We do it because of the great things he's done for us. We don't serve God so that we can persuade him to do great things for us. He does great things for us because he loves us. And when we understand that, when we put it in this context and we understand the great things he's done for us, then it's not a burden to do something for him. He finishes with, if you do so wickedly, you shall be swept away, you and your king. This warning is a sad legacy of Israel. And when they were conquered and taken from the land into captivity, it was because that they had fallen away from God. Today, have you fallen away from God? Maybe you are like Israel. Maybe you have a fear of the Lord at one time in your life. But now you've fallen away. Maybe you're not where you used to be. Today, the Holy Spirit is knocking on hearts. Jesus is saying, open the door. Let's have fellowship. I'm not saying that you're not saved, but maybe you've fallen away for some reason. Something happened in the church. Maybe somebody said something that hurt you. Whatever it is, today I feel that the Holy Spirit is knocking on someone's heart and saying, come back to me. The nation of Israel fell away and they were conquered and they were taken into captivity because of their idol worship. I hope today that you're not chasing after the world and some idol in the world. I'm out of time, so let me close with this final thought real quick. Every good thing in our life, like a marriage, like our family, like our hobby, like our job, like our car, everything that we do can become an idol if we put it at a greater emphasis on it than on our relationship with God. Anytime you think fulfillment comes from who you're with, or what you do, you're setting yourself up for a deep disappointment. If you put your trust in something you created, it will disappoint you. I promise you that. But the truth of the reality is that God's created everything, and He will not let us down. He cannot lie. Everything was created by His own hand, and He is the one that controls everything. And the ultimate reality is just what Samuel told the nation of Israel right here in chapter 12, that God will bless you if you obey him and follow his commandments, if you allow him to be your God. But if you want to chase other idols, then you'll be quickly swept away. Today, where is your trust? Who is your idol? Let us pray. Dearly Father, we come before you today, Lord. We thank you for our time together. We thank you for the book of 1 Samuel. We thank you for the whole Bible. But right here, we see how we can be a great servant. We see by following Samuel's model here that we can learn from it. And there are key points that we can 
add to our life. We can apply these uh, ideas to our life to be more like you and to point others to you. Today, I pray, Lord, for the one that for whatever reason, they had a relationship with you. They asked you to be Lord of their life. They were saved, but for whatever reason, they've gotten distracted. They've fallen off the path. They're not where they used to be. The relationship's not where it was. Lord, I pray today that they will answer and they will turn back to you. Lord, they'll say, I want to sit down with you. I want that same fellowship I used to have. Lord, maybe there's one that doesn't know you at all. Lord, I pray today would be the day for them too. Lord, that they would ask that you would be Lord of their life. Lord, they would confess with their mouth that they're a sinner. Lord, they would believe on the finished work on the cross that they need you and what you did on the cross and how you overcame sin and death and rose again. Lord, your word tells us if we will confess with our mouth and believe in our heart, we will be saved. I pray today they will do that. Lord, we thank you for all that you do. We thank you for the blessings you give this ministry. It's in your name we pray. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.